since we're talking about your history, um, I read your book on, I was on a little mini vacation. The book's called Light the Way Home. Well, maybe we'll talk about where I, at first when I saw that title, I thought that's a cool spiritual title until I understood it was a horse, but we'll, but that's a different story. But, um, you, you come from a Italian family and uh, from the area of Naples. And uh, I, when we talked on the phone, I told you it was interesting because your last name was Santagada, was it? That's it. Santagada. Yep. And uh, my family comes from Salerno, which is kind of within Naples. And uh, what year did your family kind of migrate to the States and then to Southern California? My uh, grandfather came over, I believe it was like in the late 20s, early 30s. Okay. And uh, they were in Oklahoma for a handful of years, and they made their way out west. And uh, as I said, uh, I was born in Cleveland, and we moved out here in the 60s when my dad got a job in the movie industry. Okay. My family migrated to Southern California in the 60s as well. My mom and dad got a divorce, and... Uh, in the late 60s, our whole family migrated from the Chicago area to Southern California. And my family started Barrow's Red Devil Pizza. I worked at a place called Lulo's Italian Kitchen with my other uncle. And then my, one of my uncles started Lampost Pizza. So I was telling you on the phone that Italian through and through and work, growing up in the pizza business. But with that came, um, and it was pretty common, a Roman Catholic background. And in the Roman Catholic Church, and, you know, of course, some people have had different experiences depending on the church. Um, what I learned was to fear God and to fear nuns. Uh, I think you tell a story about a particular nun that had a good arm with erasers. Can you explain? That would be my <laughs> second grade teacher, Sister Patrick Marie. <laughs> and, man, she could throw like a, uh, a major league baseball pitcher. And, and she had radar. I mean, like, I, I'd be do, dozing off in class, and boy, the eraser would be in head before I even knew what happened, and she would just be waving her finger at me. Mm -hmm. My grandmother used to be able to do that with a shoe. <laughs> and it would come back to her like a boomerang, and she'd blow on it and put it back in her holster. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Italians. They just have that knack. She could do it with a TV guide, a shoe. It just really didn't matter. But... <clears throat> My family uh, experienced some dysfunction. My father uh, left us when I was four. Um, your dad, from reading in your book, was around but not around because he was working all the time. And I know some stuff happened within your family. And, and a wound um, hit your heart just like it hit mine. My wound was my dad was MIA. I talked to him one time on the telephone uh, my whole life outside of that first four years which I didn't remember. And then I found out that my father died on an Internet Ancestry website. And um, there was always a part of me that held out hope that he would come to his senses. And I think a lot of what I did when I was growing up, the weight room, um, trying to excel in athletics. In fact, I had a dream that my dad would see me playing for the Chicago Cubs someday because I was a baseball player. And that I would prove him wrong. And I think it kind of put a chip on my shoulder. And I was trying to prove somebody wrong. And I had anger. Um, I think you can relate to that. Because I think in reading your story, there was kind of a similar dynamic with your father. Can you explain a little bit? Um, it's like we were raised in the same household. My dad, um, 
uh, was in and out. He, he worked hard, and uh, I think it was when I was 12 or 13, he would leave for two, three weeks at a time, and then would come home, and instantly he drove a, uh, a 1965 El Camino that had glass packs on it, so we could hear him coming a few blocks away. And uh, I, I just, I idolized my dad. Show me a, a young boy who doesn't idolize his dad, whether it's functional, dysfunctional, or anything in between. And so this one particular afternoon, he came home, and uh, my sister and I knew that the moment he comes home, that means there's fighting and yelling and screaming. Well, um, very long story short, it kind of escalated, and he left, and I found my mom in the kitchen uh, weeping, saying, your father's gone for good. He's not coming home. He's divorcing me. And uh, that's a hard thing to swallow, whatever age you are. And so um, I also began to channel a lot of anger, um, not understanding, thinking somehow it had to do with me on some level. And, uh, and yet I discovered basketball a short time later after I had the growth spurt and became a halfway decent basketball player, but in my heart I had such anger and rage. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't right. Uh, I just wanted my dad to come home and love me. And um, we have time for a two-minute story? Sure. I, um, some of you, and, and I'll pray for you, some of you used to listen to me on a program named Mark and Brian. Well, they used to do a thing on Father's Day when um, you could get right with your dad, if you will. And I was on the show for a number of years. I hadn't talked to my dad in three and a half years. I cut him off. And uh, I was a non-believer then. But all of a sudden, I found myself blurting, I want to call my dad. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. And so we called my dad. He picked up. And I just said on the air, like, I love you. And I miss you. And he said, I love you too, son. Let's try to spent some time together, and we spent a lot of years trying to bridge a gap that was based on the past and a lot of wounds, and it wasn't actually until I became a Christian, of which we'll talk about, that God kind of rectified and healed a lot of, uh, a lot of that alienation, but there's so many men, old, young, in between. We've got a father wound, and we go through this life faking on some level what we think it means to be a man. And until you discover Jesus Christ, you'll never understand your purpose as a man of God in this life. That's well said. And, and I would say that's really when I started to figure it out is when I, when I came in into a relationship with Jesus Christ and found, found out that my heavenly father is the father of the fatherless and the defender of widows. And he would show me what it meant to be a man. And one thing I do know on a positive note, because I know we can talk about you know, that we, if, if you have that wound, uh, it's hard not to see yourself as a victim. But one thing that this did for me, Frank, was it motivated me to be the right kind of man and the right kind of father once I came to know Christ. There was another thing that, that happened, though, as a result of this. You grew up in this Roman Catholic family, and when your dad left, I recall reading that you kind of, you some of that anger went towards God and the Bible and the church. Can you explain how that kind of manifested itself? Uh, I blamed God for everything. I mean, I blamed God for my dad leaving. As I shared, I blamed God for ruining my dream of being a racehorse jockey. 
I mean, we do these things like somehow if our life isn't the way and, and doesn't go the way we think it should, anyone that has a modicum of faith, we tend to put it on God. And so, uh, yeah, and my mom fell apart after my dad left. She had a strong Catholic faith. I kind of blame God for that one too. So in my teens, and my 20s, I, I, I kind of was acting out to a place of I was just trying to find myself. I remember after high school, uh, when I graduated in Notre Dame, I said, I'm done with any form of faith. I thought I knew who Jesus was. I uh, had such rage inside. I'm like, I'm gonna go out in the world and see what the world has for me. And um, my goodness gracious, it was 12 years between leaving high school and a moment in my life that really turned my life upside down. I wanna talk about that moment. Yep. Yep. Um, you... You pretty much put God on a shelf, and you decided that you were going to just just live and live for pleasure and live for whatever allegedly makes you a man. My family and I were in a, a store. I think it was a one of these um, a Verizon type stores, and there was a there was a man with his son at the counter, and he was joking with his son, and he said, "I'm going to take you over to the gentleman's club." and teach you what it means to be a man. And uh, he was kind of joking about what he would do with a dollar bill at this gentleman's club. And, and, and I was thinking, it's so tragic that here's a dad with his son, and he thinks that that's what it means to be a man, is to show him the ropes in a so-called gentleman's club. So you started living on the other side of the railroad tracks. I can totally, totally relate. I made a ton of mistakes uh, in all those areas, and uh, you ended up on the freeway on a motorcycle, and uh, it was back in the 70s, so there was no helmet law in Southern California, or maybe even in the whole United States, and something happened. Tell us about what happened on the freeway. Yeah, it was actually the mid-80s. Um, all right, oh, so, all... so I'm sorry, I, I didn't want to make you older than you are. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Um, I want to be really honest with everybody here. Most of you may know of me or maybe listen to my show or listen to me on KLOS. But um, I'm just here as a sinner saved by grace and the cross of Christ. So I just want to be real transparent with you, um, especially if this helps one person. And, and that kind of disclaimer leads to this story. Uh, sometimes I share it in great detail, sometimes not so much. But Sunday morning, June 17th of 1984, I woke up um, and had the inclination to go to the racetrack. I wasn't going to be a jockey, but I spent a lot of time at tracks anyway. And as Pastor Michael talked about, there was a horse that day called Light the Way Home, big white horse, and I wanted to go watch him. I would just watch certain horses run just to see them run. There's something about thoroughbreds that's just so incredible. And uh, here's the part of being transparent. Um, I was dating a woman at the time, and I called her that morning and invited her to go with me on my motorcycle. And um, I would be disingenuous with you if I was to tell you that I didn't know she was married. Um, she was married to a Los Angeles police officer who was a watch commander, and I didn't care. This is how lost and broken I was. I was 27, just a mess. 
uh, and um, was having an affair. So she agreed to go. We got on my motorcycle, rode to Hollywood Park, which is no longer uh, in existence. We watched the horse run. Uh, he ran dead last. And uh, we got back on my motorcycle and rode back to my apartment. And as Pastor Michael was saying, in 84, there were no helmet laws in, in California. And uh, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination for a moment. Uh, in 84, I had a full head of long hair. <laughs> what are y'all laughing at? So why would I have a helmet? Right? So we were on the bike, no helmet. She didn't have a helmet on. And we were riding back uh, in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, we went into uh, the 405 freeway, which, which descends into the valley, and then you go 101. And... Uh, there's a street called Balboa. There's a little hairpin and a long straightaway. And I leaned back and I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm fine. And about three seconds later, I looked in my mirror to make a lane change. And I saw a car just barreling up on us. And I'll tell you, I didn't wake up that Sunday morning thinking this would be the last day of my life. Um, I think many of us take life for granted we don't think about such things. I surely didn't think about such things. I just wanted to live for myself and whatever I could get in the world to try to, um, try to alleviate so much of that pain that I had inside. So um, as I looked in the mirror to make a lane change, uh, things kind of went into slow motion and we were rear-ended. Uh, the aftermath of which California Highway Patrol said we were hit at 110 miles an hour. And the guy was in a Corvette that he just purchased? Yeah, he was at least a brand new vet. And on that particular part of the freeway, it's a little bit of a hairpin and a long straightaway, and he gunned it. It was 10 of 6 in the afternoon uh, in June, and evidently the sun was in his eyes. He didn't even see us to the last minute. So he braked, impact, she went up, I went out, uh, she had to have uh, brain surgeries. I had to call her husband. Um, praise God, she survived. She's fine now. But uh, that was kind of a wake-up call. And I made the commitment to tell her I couldn't see her anymore. I wanted to get right. But the problem that I uh, didn't realize was I wanted to get right in my own will and not his will. I, I, you would think that I would have surrendered to God in that moment because I knew there's no way I should have survived that crash. I knew it. I moved away to Lake Tahoe, locked myself in a cabin in one of the coldest winters on record, just trying to figure out what happened, how I survived. I had survivor's guilt because she was hurt very badly for a while. So I was up there for the winter, came back to L.A., trying to just find my way uh, every day I woke up with this renewed sense of I'm grateful to be alive, but I was searching, and uh, a short time after I moved back to L.A., uh, I fell into the New Age movement. And I want, I want to jump in for a second, because there's something interesting I wanted to ask you about, and it relates to our topic tonight. And, and just a little bit more uh, on the crash, you only had uh, road rash, being hit at 110 miles an hour without a helmet on. She had emergency brain surgery, and then survived, which, you know, that, that the whole thing's a miracle. But 
I want to ask you about something that I read in the book, that you had had some, let's call it, premonitions of the crash. And, and I, I think this is interesting in light of the New Age topic, because sometimes you hear people who claim to be spiritual say they had some sort of spiritual experience that confirmed them on this road to the New Age movement. And we'll define it in a second. What do you make of the fact that you had a couple of, or more than that, premonitions or dreams? What, what was it that happened? Um, I would have, leading up to the crash moments, I remember one in particular, I'm sitting at a red light with one of my best friends in the car, and I began to have uh, like a, a, a breakdown. I, I would start shaking, I would break out into a sweat, and I heard uh, like a loud crash. And he was like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I, I said, I can't explain it, but I had this experience. And leading up to the crash, I had four or five like that that got more and more intense. But it would come on, and then it would go away. And I, honestly, I, I wouldn't think any more about it, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. Um, but it was only until that day and when it happened and I was in the emergency room at 3 o'clock in the morning, and the doctor was screaming at me how lucky I was to be alive. It all kind of lined up. Wait a minute. I kind of had a sense this was going to happen for about three and a half weeks leading up to the crash. I know this is hard to answer, but do you think that the enemy was using that to plant some almost like a prophetic kind of thing in your mind? Or what do you... I think people have questions about this kind of stuff. Like, what... What do you think the source of that warning was that somehow you had this for at least, what, five different times? Well, what's really interesting is it's been a lot of years since that happened. My book's been out for a few years. No one has asked me this question, and I'm reflecting as Pastor Michael is, is asking, and this is what comes up for the first time. Um, I, I'm just going to be honest. I, I think it was God... Um, kind of prompting me. I mean, we look back, it wasn't only until I became a follower of Jesus that I saw where God was in my life so many times and I denied him anyway. And I don't know if I put it in the book or not, but when I got hit um, and I was flying in the air, in one of my ears I heard a voice say, Duck. And I ducked my head, and I went into a roll. And I got cut up, as Pastor Michael was saying. But the point of that story is, one of my best friends is a pastor in Dallas, Pastor Jack Graham. He's written a book on angels. It's scriptural. I absolutely believe an angel was there telling me to duck. And in the spiritual realm, we tend to deny a lot, both out in the world and in the church in some ways. And so... I really honestly never really thought about it till now. I absolutely believe that was God's hand kind of prepping me for what was about to happen. That's interesting. So um, as you went up to Lake Tahoe and you kind of shut yourself in and you were trying to figure this out and you had tried to do something with some integrity with this woman and you cut off the relationship, um, you were then exposed to the New Age movement. Was it Michael? Uh, Benner. Michael Benner. Yep. And he had a late night show. Was it on KLOS at that sure time? Sure was. And he said something on the air 
about motorcycle crashes. Sure did. And this is why I'm kind of just wondering about the origin of all this, but, you know, God knows, right? Um, is what, what, what was his exact line? You were just kind of listening in, and what did he say on the air? This is before I moved to Tahoe. Okay. I was healing, scrubbing wounds with iodine Brillo pads, and I tune in one Sunday night, three days before I moved to Tahoe, and I hear a voice talking, and I'm like, dude, when are you going to play Led Zeppelin? You're talking too much, right? And the more he talked, I realized he wasn't playing music, and he said, motorcycle crashes can be transformational. And I was like, what? So I was so enamored by what he said that next night he was doing a spiritual talk that I went, saw him, introduce myself, and it was the day before I moved to Tahoe. And um, as it turned out, when I came back, I ended up mentoring under him, and he was a huge New Age teacher in Southern California. Motorcycle crashes can be transformational. That's, that's what he said. That's what he said. When you met him, did you ask him what prompted him to say that? Do you remember if he even, like, did he have someone he knew who went through something like that, or I, did he tell you? Uh, I didn't ask that night, but I did find out after I, I interned under him for about a year and a half, he rode motorcycles too. Okay. And his whole take on transformational and spiritual Let's just say it was uh, not the type of transformational that only Jesus can bring. Amen. So you became enamored with the New Age movement, and uh, you went and saw him speak, and then you began to intern under him. And all of a sudden, uh, you had a passion for radio, and a door was open to you to really take his spot. And then you became the teacher. <laughs> right? I did. Yeah, the way it went down was um, he invited me down to the radio station. I'd never been in a radio station. I walked in, and I wanted to be an actor. My dad was in the movie industry. I grew up on sets. Um, I walked into a radio station, and I was just like, I can do this. I wanted to do it. I instantly fell in love with the whole thing, and I would watch him. I, I got hired on at KLOS as his call screener, and I would watch him do the show. Um, in August of 1987, August 16th and 17th, he went away, and they asked me to fill in. And the reason why I know those dates, some of you may remember, that was something called a harmonic convergence, which was a big New Age deal, where all the planets lined up and Something was going to happen, and I was on that weekend filling in for him, and we can maybe circle back a little bit to that, but um, it was three months later through deregulation. He was let go. They gave me the Sunday night show, uh, and I ended up sitting in that chair for 21 years and becoming a very prominent leader in the New Age movement. And that show was called Impact, and it was from midnight to 5 a.m.? Correct. And uh, apparently a lot of people up at that time. We have a show on KKLA at 4 a.m., so I hope people are listening to radio. But And so people were listening to you teach New Age concepts. And, and I want to kind of transition for a second here since this is the topic tonight. As you, as you exposed yourself to New Age concepts, can you define the New Age movement? or movements, plural. And then can you talk about some of the things that you read 
And what would you teach people when they came to these little talks that you did? The preface is surviving a motorcycle crash, I knew something was much bigger in life than I had been living. I knew I got spared for some reason. And one of the many things about the New Age movement, at least back in the 80s, was that um, the emphasis was on spirituality. The, a phrase that's even more popular today, spiritual but not religious, really resonated with me because I had left the Catholic Church, said I would never go back to church. 12 years later, I'm in this motorcycle crash. 15 years later, I'm hosting the show. And I really, on some level, thought I was contributing to the greater good of society. Because the New Age movement, part of the way you can define it is all paths lead to God, that it's all about love. Um, but the little X factor is, and I hope we can delve into it further, that the divine lies in you. It's the worship of self. That somehow, if you can... Um, become at one with the universe, uh, we're sparks of the divinity, uh, God is love, and somehow it's about coexisting and serving humanity for the greater good. And so on some level, it kind of lined up for me. I knew I survived this crash. I felt like I was led to be a teacher and share my story. That's kind of the way it started. And the next thing you know, I started getting invitations to these huge expos, um, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Shirley MacLaine was very big back then, out on a limb. Um, and they were into channeling. She had a channeler named Kevin Ryerson. Channeling is supposedly somebody, uh, and back then you talk about the cross being folly. I mean, I really bought a lot of this stuff hook, line, and sinker. It made sense on some level. And when Jesus crushed that level of ignorance, boy, I saw I was really wrapped up in it. But the whole point of the story is a channeler is somebody that supposedly can channel entities from the spirit realm that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And Kevin Ryerson was very popular back then. I'd have him on my show. Um, he even said one night um, we had a past life together. And at the, new, at, the, at the Whole Life Expo that week, people were coming up to me, oh, you had a past life with Kevin Ryerson? Oh, my goodness. And I'm just like, yep. <laughs> yep. And, and, and it, the, the funny thing, we used to think about that, why back then past lives, reincarnation is a big thing. Why does everyone that have a past life, somehow you were famous? Why weren't we just, you know, nobodies? But in the New Age, everybody was famous. They did this. They did that. And uh, I wonder, even with some of the, the New Age concepts and reincarnation, if you wouldn't have been a fruit fly in a prior life or something like that. I mean, who knows, right? But yeah, everybody was a king or a queen or something like that. Yep. So you began to teach these concepts. And, and I want to hit on something that I think is important for everybody in the New Age concept, they talk about Christ. They talk about the Christ consciousness, the Christ spirit. But when you're doing what we would call apologetics, when you're, when you're making the case for the historic Christian faith, it really, a lot of it comes down to who do you say that I am? That's what Jesus asked his own followers. The New Age movement, 
Who do they say Jesus is? You had also asked me in the previous question, and I got a little sidetracked, what books I read, and it all ties in. I was fascinated with Eastern mysticism um, because I survived this, and I experienced some things, um, the premonitions, the, the, the yell in the ear. Um, and so I started attending New Age churches. In the 80s, they were more prominent. There were actually New Age churches, not so much now. It's in our culture now. But um, I remember going into a New Age church once, and they had this, this big candle thing on the wall, and during opening and a little bit of worship, um, someone would say they're lighting a candle for Buddha the Great One, Muhammad, and they got to Jesus. Jesus was called the Lord of Love. But I remember thinking, even though I was completely entrenched in a New Age the LA Times had did a piece on me. They called me a new age guru. I was, I was all in. Did you wear a white robe or anything? No, I didn't get that far. Okay. But there were some that did that. They did some that did. Um, but when they called him the Lord of love, you know, the book of Romans talks about God's written his law in our hearts. Something wasn't right inside when I'm like, Lord of love, and it was like, on some level, I think God was speaking to me, like, because I remember back from my Catholic days. Well, okay, yeah, it was about love, but I thought he said he was a son of man. Okay, whatever, I'm in the new age. My identity was so invested in being the spiritual teacher um, to a point where um, I began to recognize on some level, through all the books I read and all the uh, the, the workshops I facilitated and the classrooms, whether it was doing past life regression or working with crystals for healing, um, I really honestly believed I was doing good. And it was only until I became a Christian where I recognized I opened a lot of doors to the demonic realm. And there is a demonic realm. Um, and the New Age movement, all about spirituality. Um, yeah, Jesus is the Lord of love. But C.S. Lewis pretty much broke that one up. He's not either Lord, lunatic, or liar. Um, so, so I, so I they, remember my, my heart wasn't right. And they put Jesus really on a level of an ascended master who's a way shower and basically... The Christ spirit came into the man Jesus. They make a distinction between the two you know, at his baptism and left him before he was crucified on the cross. Correct. They do not believe that there was an atonement made for sin on the cross. They kind of just brush that aside. And you've got to really find the divine in you. That's really what it's all about. Absolutely. And we, in, in our modern uh, times, we've had Oprah Winfrey uh, pushing a lot of this stuff on her program, uh, really through, I would call it a very uh, persuasive pulpit where she opened it to Eckhart uh, totally. totally, and he was uh, one of my teachers. The Secret Book and all this other stuff that's really just all New Age concepts. When you were doing the Impact Show and you had callers calling in and you were discussing various topics, the one people group that you had very little patience for was Christians. <laughs> just to hang up on them when they call. Tell us about when a Christian would call in, what would happen? Uh Jesus is rel was relativized, is relativized in the New Age movement as being one of many spiritual teachers. 
Um, people would call, and I would do a spiritual program. I was all about the Dalai Lama. Talk about walking contradictions that somehow uh, I'm not into one particular faith. I was a Buddhist if I was anything, but I would never say that publicly. Um, Johnny would call, or Janie would call. Frank, um, I want you to know I've been praying for you. And I'm thinking, okay, here it comes. And uh, I want you to know if you know who Jesus is. And there was something about the word Jesus or Jesus Christ that elicited such a response in me where I could not hang up on them fast enough. I mean, Jesus is trouble to sinners. See, the whole deal is, was and is now, we have a culture that's in rebellion against God, an absolute God of the universe. And I didn't want to go there because I was, I was caught up in my sin. I'll tell a funny story. I don't know if it's in the book. Um, I met my wife at a New Age lecture. She also was raised in Catholicism, walked away from the church, got into the New Age. And so one of the things my father taught me, a lot of times we make these vows, I, I will never be like my father. And we end up having an epiphany one day, I'm just like my father, oh my goodness. <laughs> and my father was a womanizer. And so part of the way that, again, that, that, that deep pain that I wasn't really in touch with, I, I tried to... Uh, uh, put it away was I, I dated a lot of women, and um, here's the whole point of me bringing that up. So I did a New Age lecture one night. Lord, I've repented of this. Thank you. But I decided I was going to do a fundraiser for cats. Oh, Frank. Now. now Frank, Frank you, yourself, you need to know something. You need to know something I have said from this pulpit multiple times. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm a dog lover. <laughs> and I, better not I, I stole this from somebody else, but I do not believe cats are Christians. <laughs> and so for you to say, and it just goes perfectly with the coexist and the, yeah. and the new age teaching, you were raising money for cats. Well, and you all know why I did that, right? Who comes to a lecture for cats? <laughs> Women? I don't know. Women. <laughs> The, the auditorium was full of women, and I'm thinking on some level, okay, maybe I'll meet somebody I can date. That's how lost and broken my heart was. Well, my wife showed up that night. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, we hit it off, and we dated tumultuously for five years. But I can look back, and one of my good friends who's a pastor says, do that cat story. You got to be real careful when you share it. It's like... You were really lost, but if anything came out of that night, I met my wife that evening, so. I want to fast forward just for the sake of time and remind you guys that if you have a question, please submit the question uh, so that we can get to them because we're going to start in a few minutes. So I want to fast forward to a game of golf, and I always knew that golf was a spiritual sport, and this confirms it. So you had, you had some buddies, and they had been praying and planning to really hit you hard with the gospel. And uh, I think it's Tracy and who is the other? Dale, Pastor Dale. Pastor Dale. So they invited you out for golf and you guys only played nine holes and it wasn't the best golf day, but you guys ended up at Farmer Boys and you're having some lunch together and they started pressing you 
about the Bible and the, the Jesus of the Bible. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what happened there. The Tracy was my best friend. We were non-believers. We were New Agers. And uh, three years previous to this, this day, and by the way, I think, I think, there's, I think golf's kind of evil, too. <laughs> I, I have really a love-hate it's, love it's, relationship yeah, with this sport, yeah. So my best friend had given his life to Christ three years before this golf outing, and I watched his life over three years completely change. And I remember when he called me the day that he professed faith in Jesus, my thought was, oh, don't be like one of them. You know, all the stereotypical perceptions of the world that were hypocrites, were judgmental, were condemning, all that, I had all that baggage from the past, and I, I had a deep fear that he would be like that. Well, over three years, not only did that never happen, I watched his life completely change, and there was something about him, I knew he had something that I really wanted. So he and his older brother had been praying and loving on me and developing relationship with me. Um, they invite me to play golf, but I did not know at the time, but I call it, they plan on having a Christian intervention on me. They, they saw me, they saw the LA Times article, I was out of control, and um, so we sit down for lunch, and I, the only word that comes up is they hammered me with the gospel for two and a half hours, and I sat there and took it and listened because I knew they loved me. For three years, we spent a lot of time together. They never really start throwing scripture and Frank, you're gonna burn in hell, none of that. But they didn't necessarily enable my new age teaching. They, they walked a fine line. So I listened to them. And um, after two and a half hours of getting me to say, yes, I've stolen, yes, I've lied, yes, I've cheated, um, they talked about Jesus and the sacrifice he did on the cross. I knew that from Catholicism, and they shared a very, um, very powerful way in which they led up to the moment of, well, and they kind of leaned in, well, and they were hoping and praying that I would say, it's undeniable, I surrender, but I had so much built into my new age stuff, and I just said to them, if it works for you, I'm happy for you, even though I wasn't, um, but I'm not interested. I, I know Jesus, we're good. And then I started getting defensive. Jesus is in the New Age movement. He's all about love. I, we're good. And I just, the more I kind of defended myself, the more I heard myself. For the first time almost in my life as a New Age teacher, I just sounded empty. And I knew God was convicting me on some level. So Pastor Dale me being a meditation teacher, said, Frank, before you drive home today, if you don't make it home on the freeway, my wife and I had been married four years, our son was a year and a half, he said, if you don't make it home today, um, like you shouldn't have made it home 25 years ago on that motorcycle, are you right with God? And it hit me, because I know I shouldn't have survived that motorcycle crash, and in some way, um, the truth kind of penetrated, and he said, would you sit in your car and meditate on are you right with God? And I did, and I can share what happened if you'd like. Um, Before you get into that, yeah. I just want to say something about the New Age movement defining Jesus as the Lord of love is an ignorant statement. 
in this sense, Jesus is love. But when you read about the Jesus of the New Testament, he turned over tables, he challenged people, he called religious leaders hypocrites. He was a man above all men. He was tough. He was soft as velvet, full of incredible compassion and love, and at the same time as tough as nails. And this idea that people get in their heads that Jesus always walked around with a little lamb over his shoulders, and he was always talking about love, and he never spoke about justice. And, he, he, you know, he talked about hell more than he did about heaven. And that's because he didn't want people to go there, and that's why he went to the cross. But, but I think this, this whole idea of shoehorning this concept of Jesus, which is really unbiblical, is what other religions do. The New Age movement does it. Witchcraft does it. Mormonism does it. Jehovah's Witnesses does it. And, and I could go on and on. And that, that's the problem, is that the concept was not the biblical Jesus. And the biblical Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So um, you're in the car, and you heard... And let me add to that. Yeah. I, I was not aligned with Jesus as Lord and King because I was in full rebellion against God. I was living for myself. Sin is so strong. And on some level... I knew there was Jesus, but I absolutely believe there, maybe even this room, there's strongholds by the enemy. Even if you profess Christianity, maybe you're dabbling in some stuff you shouldn't be. I mean, I opened up so many doors that I didn't even believe existed. One of the greatest lies of the New Age movement is evil is not a force. They don't believe in Satan. They think it's the absence of good and love. That's all evil is. And uh, you want to talk about Satan controlling the world. I mean, he's got people convinced he doesn't even exist. And, that's and, and a lot of these stories of these people in various aspects of the umbrella of the New Age movement talk about encountering light. And isn't it interesting that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and they all talk about, oh, I've had this experience with the light, the light, the light. But, but the devil is an angel of light, and he is a counterfeiter, and there's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. So you're in your car, and uh, you heard a voice, and uh, it was the voice of the Lord, and what did he say to you? I quieted down. I, I got very hot, and as a New Age teacher, as I said, I read a lot of, by the world standards, holy books, a lot of Eastern mysticism, never opened a Bible. Catholicism, we had catechism. I never opened a Bible. So I had no scriptural reference. So I sit in my car, I got very hot, and I heard a voice that was undeniable that said, are you ready to submit to me? And I, I, I had free will. I didn't feel coerced, no fear. And I said yes. And then he said, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, I want to spend maybe 60 seconds kind of breaking that down because it's important. I had no idea what that meant, never heard it before. Nothing else was exchanged. The sensation kind of went away. I call my friends. The first words out of my mouth, I want to go back to church. It had been 37 years. They're hooping and hollering, praising God and all that. Um, my wife, who was a new ager, was at home. And on Facebook, my two friends said, our good friend just gave his life to Christ. I didn't know any of this. 
I got home. Um, I, I went in the front room. I was on fire for the Lord. It all made sense. And she said, don't tell me you gave your life to Jesus. And I said, I did. She said, get out. And we spent 18 months apart. She was angry. She felt betrayed. She fell in love with this new age guru. But I will say, praise God, um, five weeks after this happened, the Bible came in the mail. Pastor Dale mailed the Bible. And one night, I'm on my knees. My wife had left, took our son. I'm on my knees crying, thinking I was losing my mind. Uh, I opened up to the Bible, and as if, as if God's hand opened the Bible, excuse me, it opened up to the Gospel of Luke. And this is what a great Christian I was. Five weeks later, I knew red letters meant Jesus. <laughs> and I look, and I read Luke 9.23. I read in red letters, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. I hit the ground. I said, it's undeniable. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I made the commitment then that I will serve him. I wanted to know the word. I went to Biola. I wanted to get deep in apologetics and theology. Um, my wife came back, praise God. We had a rough go. But after about nine months, she said she saw a change, started to attend church. And in July of 2011, she also gave her life to Jesus Christ. Praise God. I think um, we could talk for the next three or four hours about your story. Um, so you, you became a Christian, and uh, I think I remember reading for a year, you, had, you were a Christian while on the Mark and Brian show, and they were giving you a bit of a bad time. And then that show went off the air, and, and uh, things kind of changed, and all of a sudden, you found yourself out of work. And uh, you came on, I'm, I'm really fast forwarding in my notes here, but I think that this is an incredible part of your story. You uh, ended up being interviewed on the Frank Pastore show. And uh, you can tell the story better than I, but, but there's some amazing things. We have some questions coming up here. Thank you, Dave. Um, was it a couple different interviews? I'm trying to remember how you first ended up on that show. Uh, someone listened to his program Frank would say, if you know anybody that has a testimony, let me know. They reached out to him, told him about me. I had posted on YouTube uh, my conversion, not my actual testimony. So in April of 2012, Frank had me on his show. I gave my public testimony for the first time, as I just shared. And I was on two more times in June with my wife. And then in August, uh, late August, a third time, a handful of weeks before he went down on his motorcycle. And when you were on the show, um, I know there was a discussion that you were looking for work, and I think they even, Frank even prayed for you on the air. I remember listening to those broadcasts. And you said in your book that Frank went into the kitchen, Frank Pastore went into the kitchen, looked at his wife and said, one day he's going to take my job. And Frank was what in his he was younger than you at the time. Here's what happened in April of 2012. After I was on his program for the first time, used to for those of you that used to listen, Frank used to call everybody bro, bro, bro. 
you're gonna take over my show. He told me in April of 2012, and I'm thinking, huh? I'm at KLOS, 27 years, I'm not going anywhere. And then in June, when my wife and I were on, Gina, his wife, told me the story. He came home, honey, did you hear the show today? Uh, she said, yes, you, you made Aaron go on the air, didn't you, my wife? He said, yes, I did. He said, he's gonna take over my show. And Gina said, are you retiring? And Frank said, no, he's older than me. And he laughed, and she said he never brought it up again. So some of you may or may not know about the last night he was on the air. November the 19th of 2012, he went into a monologue saying, you all know I ride a motorcycle. At any time, riding home on the 210 freeway, somebody in the carpool lane can take me out. Um, that's not me. That's just my body, and I go home to the Lord. 90 minutes later on the 210 freeway in the carpool lane, a woman lost control of her car, clipped him. Uh, major impact. Uh, he was in a coma for 28 days and passed away on December 17, 2012. And when Frank Pastore passed away on December 17, 2012, it was three years to the day after Frank Sontag gave his life to Jesus Christ. December 17, 2009, yes, it was. And you had, you had kind of a prompting from the Lord. You had been interacting with KKLA. You had a prompting from the Lord to, you, I think at the time you didn't know that Frank had been in the crash. You said in the book that you felt like um, the Lord was prompting you to call. The next morning. You were about to call, and they called you and asked you to guest host the show. They did. And uh, we have to fast forward through a lot, but after uh, some time in KKLA working through different guest hosts and praying about it and discussing it as a leadership team, you ended up sitting in the chair of Frank Pastore, and you ended up becoming the host of that show. Seven months later, I sat in the chair, and I'm thinking, my goodness, God is great, and Frank said I was going to take over the show. Lord, I need you now more than ever. I'm not <laughs> equipped to do this program. And, and so I've been there for five years. Five years. Wow. Man, I think we need to clap for that. That's just, that's just amazing. You know, Frank, when you talk about um, the little things that are really big things, the little detail ways that God ministers to us personally, it, for me, it's really mind-blowing because to think that the God who made all of this and runs the universe cares about someone sitting in a car in a farmer boy's parking lot after his friends witnessed to him for a couple hours and is so intimate and detailed that he was willing to speak directly to you and say, are you ready to submit to me? Is just, I don't even know how to put words to it. And submit's an interesting word. I prayed about it, thought about it for a couple of years. Submit. He didn't say, you're ready to hang out with me. You're ready to get to know me. I mean, submit insinuates authority. And, mm -hmm. and he is, he's king. So I understand that. And submit, let me say this real quick. There are people in this room, we profess to be Christian and you're not all in. You're 90% in, 95% in. There are people in this room that may not even know who Jesus is. Maybe you somehow found yourself here, not even know why. I just want to say this. Submission is the word. 
And I think where the enemy really gets us is, if I give my life to Christ, if I totally surrender, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? There's this unknown, this fear of the unknown, or I'm going to have to stop doing something that I like doing, or whatever it is. All I can say is, submission is the word. And if you submit to him in your will, surrender to him, put your faith and trust in the cross of Christ, ask for forgiveness, your life will never, ever be the same again. Yeah. Can, can I put it another way? Stop fighting me. Amen. Stop. Just surrender. And it's, in our humanity, we're, we're just so prideful, and so we want to be so self-reliant. And I think when we end up, you know, on the side of a freeway or we end up in a situation that, you know, we're wondering why, why we're still here. You know, God's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. He's just so gracious to us. And, you know, we're just two Italian guys. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm on my knees before I preach and I, I ask the same question. Lord, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't know why you've chosen me for this, but please grant me the power and the grace to deliver your word faithfully. And um, God is amazing. He's just so good. So we're going we're gonna to take a moment to transition to some questions. And, but before we do, I, I just want to say, if you have not met the true Christ personally, I don't, I don't know what else could be said other than, and, and those of you who are going to watch this later, if you have not met Jesus Christ, the true Christ who can set you free, now's the time. The Bible says now is the acceptable time. Don't, the devil's going to tell you tomorrow or, you know, maybe reconsider, maybe read a couple more books over here, but the Bible says now. And God's not a God of fear, he's a God of order. But as I woke up that Sunday morning thinking, I'm just going to go to the racetrack and hang out, I didn't know if that would have been my last moment. Don't walk out tonight without knowing you're right with God. And if knowing you're right with God means to make a declaration, get right with him or surrender to Jesus. Like Pastor Michael said, Satan's a liar. He'll say, oh, no, not tonight or in front of people, next week, next year. Don't walk out those doors if you're not right with God. And if they want, there's a farmer boys about a mile from here. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently that parking lot is extra spiritual. <laughs> okay. Some questions. Um. Can you talk about the connection between the New Age movement and the ecological movement? Earth first. I think they're saying either Gaia or Gala worship. Gaia. Gre Gaia, Green Party, etc. Um, I was involved with the Animal Liberation Front. We would break into labs and free lab animals. Cats? Okay? No, no cats. <laughs> no, a lot of beagles, dogs. But here's the point, um, and, and there was a, actually a radical environmental group called Earth First. They would monkey wrench, which means mess up things. They would put spikes in trees. I was in all that stuff because I really believed um, that the earth is what, what is worth preserving in humanity. Um, and so, in fact, I did a... a a series of symposiums at Cal Pomona, Cal Poly Pomona, driving over here, I went by it. One night I did um, a seminar on dolphins. 
and, and dolphins rights. The place was packed. The next night... I'm so tempted to do a dolphin right now. <laughs> well, this is your church. Never mind. Keep going, Frank. The, the next night, it was with a group called Amnesty International on human rights. 20 people showed up. And I'm like, packed crowd for the dolphins. Next night, 20 people. It just sits too close to home with humanity. But um, look... We are called by God to be caretakers of the, of the earth. That's important. But to misunderstand who's in control and who created the earth um, is, is a, a left when we should be going uh, with a right. Um, and, and intention, and the reason why you try to get involved in ecology or, or rights um, Oftentimes, it's just about us. It's not about him. If you're involved in, in, in a cause where you want to save the whales, great. As long as you understand God is ultimately who are, you are serving in this passion to preserve whales. Um, but that's not the case in a lot of the radical environmental movements. Um, it's, a, a lot of it is like, in, again, um, it's about us, and we, this is on us. We need to do it. And it's, a, lot of, a lot of talk about Mother Earth instead of about Father God. I used to pray to the, um, Gaia is a living, breathing Earth, supposedly, uh, the all that is. Um, everything in the New Age movement other than the God of the universe, our Father. And they believe that Deity is somehow imminent within nature, and so that's why everything needs to be really treated in that respect because they, they believe, at least a segment of them believe, that the divine permeates all nature and that kind of thing. We'll have to move quickly. Um, is there a connection between socialism and the New Age? Well, socialism is with no God. Um, I, I, I know a lot of socialists that were in the New Age movement, um, can you be a socialist to be a Christian? Probably no. Um, yeah, socialism is all about man's control, not nothing to do with God. That's an interesting question, and it's an economic. Boy, don't get me going on on economics and yeah. tithing and God and because we, we can go down a political trail right now, but we we're not going to go there right now. Is the social justice movement a result? of New Age thinking, specifically the attack on the Christian church? There is a part of the church that is based in theological liberalism where Jesus, as Pastor Michael so eloquently put, Jesus is this meek, all-loving, um, all-forgiving, but... Theological liberalism doesn't go to Jesus formed a whip and went after 30 guys. He was a man's man. Um, so, so there is a part of the church that believes Jesus was all about social justice. Now, did he care about those that were in positions of... Um, you know, the widows and, 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 and the orphans, yes. But it is, it's so skewed that somehow 
Again, the emphasis is on human rights, uh, equality. We live in a time where the, this is the, the, the latest dark spirit of rebellion, and it masks itself in social justice. If you love Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to work for social justice, for his glory, not somehow to get things right with humanity, because the only way humanity can get right is to submit to God, period. Amen. Do you believe that the New Age movement is on the rise in America? And if so, is related to the rise in Eastern religion philosophy being brought into through entertainment industry and our academics that are being taught in schools? When I was in the New Age movement in the 80s, as I said, it was more pronounced as you go to a church and, and you go to seminars and you follow certain spiritual teachers. Um, here we are 30 years later. Loosely put, the New Age uh, spirit, if you will, is our culture. And I believe it's the spirit of the Antichrist. I believe it's the spirit of, of, of Satan. And I know some go, really, Frank? That just sounds kind of, but look. All, all you have to do, don't believe me. Go home, Google the tenets of the church of Satan. You all know what the tenets of the church of Satan are? It's the worship of self. It's, it's relying on your own intellect. I mean, the enemy, growing up, when I believed there was a devil, um, businesses were closed on Sundays, prayer was in public schools, uh, and he kind of masked himself. Now we live in a time where Satan is just, I mean, we've got a TV show called Lucifer, right? He, he's just saying, here I am. And our culture doesn't realize, because we're so entrenched in self, we don't realize who he is. And the New Age movement, Frank, is a lot like our culture, tolerant of everything except Christianity That's right. and the Christ of the Bible. That's right. How do New Agers reconcile the problem of evil? How do they handle, or how did you handle guilt in your life? As I said, evil isn't believed as a force. Um, well, guilt is sin. I was entrenched in my sin. Um, guilt ruled me. Shame ruled me. Uh, fear ruled me. Ego ruled me. Pride ruled me. All sins. Um, and yet, because my heart was closed, I didn't have a relationship with God. I had not repented of my ways. I absolutely believe that... Um, that's our culture. I mean, look at the culture. Madison Avenue discovered about 15 years ago, well, let's just do commercials and get people convinced that they deserve a new car, right? Our heart is, our heart is uh, it's depraved. We want, it's all about us. Look, I don't want to go too long here. My son is now 10. Our, our children that we all think are the most beautiful children in the world growing up, and most babies are pretty cute, but look, <laughs> It isn't too long before they're walking and talking, and, and, and what do they want? Me, 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 me. The Bible is true that, that we're born uh, with, with that sin in our hearts, and, and only until you're right with God does he make it clear. The cross is folly to nonbelievers. And again, I was so lost. I, had, I need to say this just for the point of clarification. Um. I had been married twice before I met my wife. 
I walked away from my young daughter. Um, I became a new age teacher. Sin is seductive. You really don't realize how broken you are. And my heart is for one person in this room. Look, if, you're, if, if you really are honestly in a place where you're gonna get real with yourself, you know you're broken. Maybe you're at the end of yourself. Maybe you're struggling. Um, don't live another moment unless you surrender to God and ask him to forgive you. He will put new life in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I saw all of it when I surrendered to him, but when I lived and breathed and was a new age teacher, um, beware the praise of the crowd. I had thousands of people idolizing me, and because I was so wrapped up in my own sin, I didn't see it. And God is such a merciful, forgiving, graceful God He's the, Jesus is the only answer in this life. Oh, my goodness gracious. He's did, it. Did you experience any spiritual warfare that you can recall while you were in the New Age movement? <laughs> These are questions that I know deserve longer answers, but... When you are wrapped up in self and you're not a follower of Jesus, Satan really going to give you a bad time? I mean, think about it. I didn't believe in spiritual warfare. I didn't believe in Satan. When I became a Christian, I all of a sudden, I'm in that chair at KKLA and hanging out with Pastore before, and boy, let's just say I led a lot of people away from the Lord. Satan got real. I want to tell a real quick story, and then with an addendum. I'd been at KKLA for a short time. My wife called me one day and said, something is really weird in the house. And, and Hollywood... Spiritual warfare and the demonic, Hollywood has just turned that upside down. Look, it's not booga booga and all that stuff. They're pests. Demons are pests. They're liars. Sometimes they they get assigned to you from birth. Um, But here's the point of the story. My wife calls me and says there, there just feels like there's a dark presence in the house. I'd been at KKLA for a short time. I realized, boy, there is spiritual warfare. I said, get out of the house. I said, I'm on my way. I'm driving my car home on the freeway. Some guy cuts me off, puts on the brakes. I go into him. I go under his truck in my Honda, and it went right up the middle of my car. CHP was there, takes me uh, home. I call my wife, and I said, are, I'm, I'm, are you okay? I'm on my way, and she said, Something happened. At 727, it was like a bubble popped in the house. And she said, I didn't feel that presence anymore, that dark presence. At 727, I was going under this truck. So I can't emphasize enough, spiritual warfare is real. And for those of you that aren't a Christian, you may say, well, why why would I want to submit to Christ if then all of a sudden spiritual warfare comes up? Here's why. Because God's already won. And if you surrender to him. Is that a sign? <laughs> Hold on. We got a couple more here. This, is, this was probably sparked from someone uh, piggybacking off of something I said. Can Satan plant thoughts in our minds or give us premonitions of things to come? Uh, can he plant thoughts in our head? He does it all the time. Lies. Uh, can he plant premonitions? He doesn't have that kind of power. 
I, I don't believe that for a moment. I think that's scriptural. Pastor Michael can maybe uh, espouse a bit more on that. But he lies to us all the time. How many times have we um, believed something and we look back on, if you would ask yourself, well, where'd that thought come from? It's usually condemning. It's usually about um, indicting. He's, he's the, the great accuser, the father of lies. So yeah, I think he, on some level, tries to, the war's in the mind. Romans eight twenty eight. Um, we know about um, God will use it all for the greater good, but uh, the battle is in our minds. The battle is in the spiritual realm. Do you want to add to that? Can he? Yeah, I don't think Satan can predict the future, no. but he certainly can maybe, maybe make us think that we can make a connection to something and think that you know, it'll take us down the wrong path. Do not, uh, do not consult fortune tellers. There are Christians that are calling 1-800-PSYCHIC-WHATEVER. Don't dabble in that stuff. Don't even read astrology. This is all, uh, this is all dark stuff. And yet, it's so normalized in our culture now, we don't even realize it. I've heard some anecdotal stories of people who have gone to psychics, uh, gone to mediums, and that individual was able to say things about them that no, there's no way they could have known that. So I will say this to whoever asked that question. Obviously, Satan has some sort of insight to things, and you could, you could say it's things of the past, but he is, he was a high-ranking angel, and we know he's got a lot of power, and so he has limitations, obviously, on what he can do, but uh, I think people get swept into this stuff because they're impressed with some sort of false sign and wonder. Um, Okay, and I think the battle, sanctification, till Lord takes us home, it's going to be a battle. He he's he's none too pleased that we become followers of Jesus, so he's going to do everything he can to keep us away from God. There's uh, a few more questions, and I'll just try to put them together. Uh, this individual said, in their past um, as a Wiccan, they could relate to what you're saying um, when they were confronted with Jesus' name. Did you notice a conscious denial of who he really is? I remember this person says saying he was a good teacher, but inwardly I felt my own lie. And then uh, kind of kind of connected to it, who who did you pray to in the New Age movement? Anyone specific? So let's start with the Jesus, and then we'll we'll the final question will be on prayer. I used to hang out with witches. That's a church of Wicca. Um, and we would banter about, you know, Jesus a little bit, but you would only go so far. Um, again, not the Son of God, just kind of the outskirts. Oh, yeah, you just kind of, you know, it's white magic, not black magic. Um, Satan is a liar. Um, what was the second part? Who did you pray to? Oh, yeah, see, that's why it's based on it. <laughs> As a Buddhist, we used to just chant to nobody. I mean, isn't that convenient? You just kind of chant. Who are you praying to? Um, who is God? Um, the, the Bible's filled with, with, with stories back 2,000 years ago where there was worship of false gods, false idols. Um, here we are, 2,000 years later, we're living it. So who do we pray to? I'll just answer it this way. 
We have a country where most would say they believe in God. But you mention the words Jesus Christ, watch their reaction. And I know you get it on the air where people will challenge you about the identity of Christ. And, you know, this is the watershed issue. Who do you say that I am? This is the acid test. Do you know the true Christ of the Bible? Do you know that you know that you know? You know, his spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you belong to God. And you'll know because you're going to be born again of his Holy Spirit. I, you're our guest tonight, and, and I want to thank you for being here. And I, and I want to just hand it to you. You've already been setting this up, but um, I want you just to, to end with an invitation. Like, what, what would someone need to do right now to get right with the Lord? So let me pray. Father, we just, um, we just come to you in this moment. And just to ask that you would, you would move who's ever in this room to come home. And I pray against any lies of the enemy by the blood and the authority of Jesus Christ I have to rebuke him and to bind him right now with the lies of, well, don't go up there. Don't, don't surrender. Um, my goodness, this... Uh, this is a lot of, and, and all the lies on and on, I, I rebuke and I bind that lie right here, right now. And Father, I just pray that by your power and the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to anyone in this room right now. Please use me as I share who you are and ask who's ever in this room to come forward and to declare in this moment new life in you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the cross and everything that you've done for me and for every single person in this world. Love like that is incomprehensible. And yet you hung on that cross and freely, freely gave your life so that we can be forever rectified with our great Father in heaven. So Lord, just use me, please. Bring your children home right now. I pray this in Jesus' name.